Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sofa. Busy Living Sofa. Busy Living Sofa. It's episode 175. 175 episodes today with Karen. How are you, Karen? I am doing well. I am doing well. It's a good day. It is a good day. Any day we wake up and we're not like hungover is a good day, isn't it? You ain't kidding. So will you tell us what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now? Yes. So I will try to sum up 42 years of craziness and goodness all in a little bit of time. So uh, my name is Karen. I am a woman in recovery. Um, I was born and raised here in Florida. I've lived here all my life. Um, I came from a really good family, like parents were workers my dad retired from the phone company vietnam vet my mom was a stay-at-home mom we went on vacations and all that good stuff um but i knew for me and looking back in hindsight now there was a lot i had i struggled with weight i struggled with obesity so growing up and during my childhood i was always picked on you're ugly you're fat you're not good enough so i didn't have a lot of um positive reinforcement growing up and i think that that's you know that's a very critical time of our development so growing up with that i think kind of stemmed into some of my behaviors later on in life the low self-esteem low self-worth things that i use drugs and alcohol to cover so anyways um life was pretty good i mean i was a happy kid um can you hear that the email, okay. All right, so um, I guess around the time I was about 14 years old, 13, 14 years old, I went to a party with my girlfriend who was a you know full Christian, went to church every Sunday and, and there were some older people there and we ended up drinking alcohol. And I can remember that next morning, us kind of coming to and her saying, I don't want to ever do that again. That's horrible, that feels horrible. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait to do that again. You know, people were laughing at me and, and I was talking to people and I, you know, I felt, I felt comfortable. So that kind of, I remember that very pivotal moment as being the first moment of, oh my God, I like this. What I didn't, what I failed to realize then was the spiral downward, downward spiral that that would take me on in my life. Um, so for, you know, for 10 years, I continued it was a big party for me and then you know it started with the alcohol and then it was the party drugs and the the street drugs and the doctor shopping with with uh opioids um and i in looking back in hindsight i could see where the consequences started and how they got greater as i got older you know first it was my parents would take my car away or um you know i, I was skipping school and i got caught and then as i progressed in my age it became more consequences like I lost a really good job. I had one DUI, I had two DUIs, I had three DUIs. I was walking the streets homeless of Tampa, in Tampa Bay with one flip-flop on. Um, I had a child in my, in my addiction. I lost him twice to the Department of Children and Families before he was even two years old because I was an unfit mother. So there was always consequences and they say the disease of addiction is progressive, permanent, predictable, and if left untreated will result in premature death. And, and that's really where I was headed towards the end of it. I had been to jail. I had been to a good 
not good, bad 10 years of my life. I was in and out of treatment centers and halfway houses and being Baker acted and Marchman acted. I was just this lost, I lost my soul along the way. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and I was very injurious. I can remember coming to one time and I, my jaw was like this and there was blood coming out of my ear and I had broke my jaw in three places and had to have my mouth wired shut for seven weeks. You know, I would come to and be in these weird places and Lord knows what, you know, what some of those times where I was in a blackout, what happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it progressively got worse and I'm blessed and grateful to be here. And it got to a point in my life where I threw the towel in and I, I hit my knees and I prayed really, really hard from the hardest of my hearts and said, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't care if you put me in prison for the rest of my life. I don't care what it looks like. I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, I, I had this one thing I ever did perfect in my life was have this beautiful little boy. And I was about to let the disease of addiction take that from me too. I had lost a husband. I had lost my family. Didn't want anything to do with me. I had lost my job. I, you know, there, I was, there was nothing valuable left in me, but I had this little mustard seed of that everyone, all of us human beings have, we just got to search deep enough for it. And, and I had that one little mustard seed of, of hope and faith that, God, you know, I've seen so many people die, but I've also seen so many people turn their lives around. There's got to be something to this. You know, if, if, if other people can do it, I can do it too. And it, it didn't happen overnight. You know, I, I, last time I went to treatment, it was six months of residential at a very slice of humble pie treatment facility that was state funded, but it didn't matter what the facility was like. It mattered my level of willingness to, to, you know, because I had gone to, to 12 step meetings for, you know, for over a decade and I could read that book and I could read that literature and I could tell you what it all meant intellectually, but I wasn't applying it in my heart and in my life and in my actions. So the last time I went to treatment, I kind of just, um, you know, I really, a lot of behavioral changes. You know, someone had said to me before, you know, my relapse starts when I throw that gum wrapper out the window. Just the little things, you know, at, at 37, 37 years old, I had to unlearn so many behaviors that I had learned for two, over two decades on how to manipulate and get the things that I wanted and plot and scheme and all that stuff and unlearn those behaviors or, or use those skill sets in a positive fashion, really. I remember someone saying, God, Karen, you're so smart. Like, the things you go through to get what you want, if you could just use those skill sets in a positive manner, you will be so successful and so powerful. And, and I have, I've, I've used a lot of those tools and skill sets in a positive fashion and my life today is amazing. Um, you know, I, I have my, I've been reunified fully with my son. I have him back, my little Owen. Um, I just got finished homeschooling him, which was like, oh, how do teachers do that? I have my family back in my life. My mom and my dad are so proud of me. I have a great uh, career in the field of substance, uh, substance use and mental health. I get to meet with hospitals and individuals and people and just talk about treatment and helping people find their way and planting seeds along the journey like so many people did for me.
Um, I just bought a 110-year-old farmhouse here in Tampa, which is so neat. Um, I have vehicles today. I have my stuff back, which stuff, I used to use stuff to fill my void because I was real good. I was very resilient. I could pop back and get that job and get those cars and get all that stuff back. And it looked really pretty on the outside, but I was dying on the inside. So when I, when I came, when I went to treatment the last time, I remember I sold my car. I sold, I got rid of everything. I boxed up like two or three storage bins of just personal things. And I was a clean slate. I didn't have anything. And I just said, let's do this. Let's start over. And so I say those things because it's nice. Yes, I just bought a 110-year-old farmhouse and I have clothes in my closet and lots of purses and stuff, but that stuff could be gone tomorrow. What's most important is what I have inside of me, my relationship with God, my relationship with my family, my son back in my life. I finally have a good man in my life because I remember in my addiction, you know, like attracts like. I, I dealt with the same man, different faces, abusive, you know, just not healthy relationships. So this time around, I worked on Karen and I said, you know what, if I'm single the rest of my life, so be it. You know, maybe my plan here is to be a good mom and, and help other people. And then as soon as I let go of that and started working on myself, um, about a year ago, God placed a really good man in my life. You know, we compliment each other. So I'm learning about having a healthy relationship with a man finally. Um, so it's just, it's, it's really good. I have a lot of hobbies that have that I lost along the way. Um, I used to love going to thrift stores and garage sales, and I would take stuff for. I find this pen for fifty cents, and I'd sell it on eBay for two hundred dollars. So, you know, all of that stuff's coming back to me, and those hobbies, and I garden now, and just I live a full life today. I have a great network of people, and it's just. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I think about that girl that I used to be. And I know I'm not too far removed from her, but it's just such night and day. The, the psychic, psychic change or whatever that term is, the psychic change that we have, you know, it's, it's true. It works. It, it really works. Okay. For one, thank you so much for being so brave and telling us all that. Yes. And the one thing that I love that you I also got sober at 37. It's kind of ironic. Oh, like crazy. We both got sober at 37. And when you went, so th that last treatment center that you went to, it wasn't one of the ones that's like flashy and you show up and it's like, you know, they've got 900 three count sheets and it's beautiful and all that. <laughs> but prior to that, you had been in other treatment centers and how did you not give up hope that this, you know, the whole treatment world doesn't work because so many people are like, for one, I'm not going to, I've already been there. I've been to 13. I mean, how many people I've met so many people and people that have guests that I've had on that went to 13 different treatment centers. And then they were like, Oh my gosh, I, I, what, I could teach treatment. You, you mentioned in this as well as that you could, you could regurgitate what was in this big, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous book and whatever it is, you could regurgitate it. And you were like, but what made you, I love when you said you got, you got that sense of like, help me God. How do you explain that to someone that's out there? And they're like, I just can't, I, 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 I don't know how I'm going to stop. I just don't know how I'm going to stop. I just don't know how I'm going to stop. Gosh, you know, if I could bottle that up, I'd be a millionaire. And it's just, it's, it is a, it's something that 
you as an individual, I as an individual had to experience. Yes, I was going, you know, for over a decade, I was in and out of these treatment centers. It got to a point where the clients, when I was a client, the clients, the new clients would come in and say, are you a therapist? I'm like, no, I'm here for treatment. <laughs> you know, because I, I did, I got so used to, accustomed to all the case planning and the, and the groups and the different types of behavioral, you know, therapies and stuff. And I think that's important because those treatment facilities and those people and those case managers and behavioral health techs along the journey, along my journey, they planted little seeds. You know, looking back now, I can remember, I remember that lady Kim at ABC treatment facility told me that the truth would set me free and I would live a life beyond my wildest dreams. But I didn't, it didn't register to me. That was 15 years ago, you know, but now I get it. So I think it's important for people to go into treatment because even though treatment might not work the first time, it's feeding your soul and feeding your brain good information, things that you need to hear. And maybe had I not gone to ABC treatment for that five or six weeks of my life, I wouldn't be here right now. I, maybe I would have been out on the streets doing something and got hit by a car or overdosed at, during that time. So treatment is a good thing. It, treatment is, uh, it educates us on the disease of addiction. You know, before I went to treatment, the first time I had no idea what alcoholism was. I, I remember seeing this AA clubhouse growing up where I lived and I thought it was an Elks Lodge. You know, I, I didn't know what it was. But as far as, as far as the question at hand where you asked, you know, what was that moment? Everybody's bottom is different, I, I think. It's just a personal bottom. You know, some people would think my bottom was my first DUI, my second DUI, or maybe my third DUI, or maybe it was losing my husband, or maybe it was walking the streets homeless with one flip-flop on, trying to figure out how to, I was going to run into that liquor store and get that bottle and get back to the, wherever it was, I was park bench, whatever. Those, those are things that I think the earthlings would be like, oh my God, that is horrible. That's a, you know, animalistic way to live. Well, yeah, it was, but those weren't my bottoms. My bottoms kind of accumulated over time to where I just got to a point. I think the catalyst for me was Owen, my son, where it was like, I've made a mess of my life and I don't want to live, but I didn't have the kahunas to take my own life. So I, I reached out to the man above and I said, take me. If you take me, take me, like kill me, put me in prison. I don't care what it is. Just do something with me because this right here is really uncomfortable and I, I can't stand to live and breathe on this earth anymore. So there's that moment of just, I don't know, it's all kinds of feelings, disgust and fear and, and worry and, and just anger and resentment and shame and guilt that just bottled up inside of me. And eventually I just got to a point where it was like, I have survived some situations in my life that were meant to kill me. I've been Narcaned. I've had guns pointed to my head. I've put myself in really bad situations and I'm still living. There's got to be, there's got to be something to this. I had no idea my life would turn out this way and I'd get to help hundreds of people and family members and, and, and friends of people afflicted and coworkers. I, I had no idea that God would use me to speak to the masses. 
And now looking back in hindsight, I get it. And when you talk about God, because so many people go, that's scary, like a moth to a flame. I don't know what God is. How do I identify God? I was raised in this way and it didn't work for me. And why are things happening in the world the way they are? And there is, can there really be a God? So what is your, how do you tell someone that is just like, I don't believe, how do you believe? What was your, how did it happen for you? So growing up, my, I never, I had a neighbor, Millie Stafko. She would always take me to church because my parents, I had a big resentment towards my parents because they didn't like going. My dad was a Catholic. My mom was Baptist and their parents made them go to church. So growing up, my mom would always say, we're not going to put you in church because we didn't like going to church, you know? So I never really experienced the whole church atmosphere a whole lot, but they always instilled the power, the word of, of God, of goodness. Like I, I was always told about, I was always talked, I was always told about the Bible and Jesus and things like that. It didn't make sense to me, but I was always told it was real. So I kind of just believed that. Now, here's my thing, though. I, I understand what you mean, you know, because I will talk to a lot of people and they'll say, I don't believe in God. I'll just tell you that right now. I'm, I'm atheist or whatever it is. So my, my rationale when I speak to people, as I say to them, do you believe that there's something greater than yourself that is good, that is good, that makes you feel happy, that puts flowers on the earth or or gives us good music, or do you believe there's something bigger than you, Michael or Kim, that is good? Well, yeah, I do. Well, anybody, I think it's, it's, up to, it's up to the individual to kind of find out what their higher power is. But I think that there's, for me, what works for me and what I believe in might not work for everyone else. It drives me crazy sometimes when I hear people say, I don't believe in, you know, there's nothing or there's no God or whatever, because I, I know there is. I've seen tangible evidence in my life that is a direct result. Was it an odd thing that that just happened or was it a God thing? Absolutely a God thing. So I just, I want people to understand that there is something greater than themselves. There is something powerful. There is something good that can restore you to sanity. You don't have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to believe in Buddha. You don't have to believe in whatever, but just believe that there's something better and good. good. There's something gooder. There's something greater than yourself that will, if you, if you speak to it, whatever, just believe that something that you're speaking to that is better than you is hearing you and what's good for you. Whatever that looks like for you, just believe that there is something better. So now here you are. And how long have you been, how long have you been sober? Oh, so November will be five years. Awesome. November will be five years, which is huge for me because like from, like I said, from the time I was 14 to 37, oh, there's that girl again, picking up a white chip or, you know, there was no, everyone thought there was no hope for me. I remember my mom calling me one time, tracking me down, finding me and saying, what color casket do you want? And do you want to be cremated? You know, because everyone knew that I was on a path to, to prematurely die. So for me to say, I am celebrating five years of recovery is like, whoa, man. That's amazing. That is amazing. So tell me in the very beginning. So like the, if somebody's out there and they're like, 
All right, so that first day you were like, I'm beaten, I'm done, I give up God, I can't do this anymore. What happened? Did you go right to this facility? Who'd you call? Who helped you? Because no. people are so scared to pick this up. Like this is the heaviest thing in the whole world. So what did you do? Yeah. Well, it took me about a week to finally get into treatment this last time because I knew I was ready, but I also wanted to get all my little duckies in a row. I had to get my my finances situated and like my, not even finances, like I hadn't been in finances, but like I had to get rid of st my, uh, my, the place I was living in. I didn't want to just 